Good morning, seminary family. It's great to be worshiping with you again. Have you ever met a Nebuchadnezzar pastor? Or maybe observed one? Here's what I mean. Is not this great ministry that I have built? I had a uh, one experience with a Nebuchadnezzar pastor in a, a previous ministry place that John and I were. Um, he'd been sent back to seminary to, to learn a few things and uh, when he came back to the conference, um, he was pretty sure he learned a lot of things and um, that everybody uh, needed to, to hear the, the new light that he learned and to follow the things that he was teaching. And he gathered his little church around him and built uh, a ministry. Thank you. And the conference was observing some things that they weren't quite comfortable with, so they, they tried to, to dialogue with him and help him to uh, think about what he was doing and maybe adjust some things to make it more productive. But his inner attitude seemed to be the Nebuchadnezzar one. Is this not a great ministry that I have built? And the conference found it impossible to dialogue um, and uh, not too differently from Nebuchadnezzar, his ministry did not continue. So I asked that question just to, to set uh, a picture in front of us, but I also want to ask, have you ever met the little Nebuchadnezzar within you? Maybe uh, you can relate to my experience of praying and working for something that you're in dialogue with God about, but at the moment you're about to do it, this thing flashes through your mind, they're gonna love this. Or this is gonna get me a whatever. Have you ever had that experience? You've been praying about it, but you've got that little Nebuchadnezzar within you that keeps coming forward and saying, look what I've done, look what I'm doing. Last week, Dr. Muscala talked to you about keeping the faith starting the semester with our theme of keeping the faith, that theme for the year. And he spoke to you from Revelation 14, 12. What does it mean? What does that tell us about keeping the faith? I want to talk today also about keeping the faith, but I want to talk to you from the Old Testament, since he, as an Old Testament professor, was preaching on the New Testament. I thought it was only fair that I preach on the Old Testament. And this, uh, this passage, I, this stopped me in my tracks a few weeks ago, and I'm still pondering it. So I am grateful for the opportunity to share it with you. I think we all have this flaw of the Nebuchadnezzar pastor, and let's listen to what God has to say here. Let's see if I can... There we go. 
God seems to be facing some Nebuchadnezzar people here because he gives us a, uh, a reminder. He gives these people a reminder. This is the end, the last chapter of Isaiah. He's just been talking about the future new earth and, and uh, future glory for his people. But then he comes back and he says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. You know, we can listen to these things and it just, we've heard it so many times, right? It's, we hear it in the Psalms when we read our Psalms at worship and it can get, it can get uh, repetitive and we get used to it. But we need, we need so much to remember the reality of this, not just the words coursing through our minds, but the reality of God, this God who dwells in the heavens, who created the heavens. If we could just pause sometimes in our scripture and, or often in our scripture reading and use that gift of imagination that God has given us and just picture those heavens that are his throne. The ancients, when they thought about heaven being my throne, they, they knew of the dome of the skies they didn't know much about what was beyond, but when we picture heaven being his throne, we can picture star after star, planet after planet, galaxies, black holes, brilliant uh, flames of fire from these stars going on and on beyond what we can imagine. And God says, heaven is my throne. And earth is my footstool, this small place that... Uh, He's created with humans on it. Earth is my footstool. The Lord tells us and reminds us of the vastness and the immensity of who he is. Throne and a footstool speaks of his sovereignty. He rules over the heavens and the earth. So he begins by reminding of this. And we'll attempt to go on here. What is the house that you would build for me? What's the place of my rest? Now, it's, it's kind of interesting that God would ask this. Why did he phrase his question this way? Because we're at the end of Isaiah. Were they building a temple at the end of Isaiah or a sanctuary, tabernacle? We don't know of anything that was being built for God unless there's something that isn't reported in scripture. But if it was important, to Isaiah, he probably would have told us about it. So why does God say, what is the house that you would build for me? It seems that God is just creating a reminder, an example that if he, as the majestic, all-sovereign God, dwells in the heavens and created them, what need is he for us to do anything for him? What's this house you would build for me? Now, they were worried at the time about the house being destroyed because they were surrounded by uh, heathen nations. Syrians had just come and taken the, the Israel, nation of Israel away. The Assyrians had sieged the capital. They were worried about that, but God says, how can you, what can you do? What's the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? And those words were words that were not new to them because Solomon, when he dedicated that temple, had said that in his dedication prayer. 
we can't build a house truly for you, Lord. You know, how can we create a place of rest? God's picking that up and reminding them, you don't have the power to build a house for me that would house me. You can't box me into your um, particular way of thinking. You can't box me into your national identity. You can't box me into your list of rules, your list of who I am. What is the house? What is the box that you would build for me? What's the place of my rest? He asks. All these things my hand has made. So all of these things came to be, declares the Lord. For ancient, the ancient people and the leaders of Israel, they may have been thinking about their temple and how they created this temple and therefore God was there, belonged to them. He was Israel's God. But God had just been explaining to them, no, I want to bring all nations to this place. They'd created this beautiful temple for God. God really owed them. God really um, should be appreciating what they'd done for him. Well, do we ever have such thoughts ourselves? What God is saying here in this first section of Isaiah 66 is God is not impressed with our human attempts to assist him. He doesn't need our help. He created all of this. He created everything we use to help him. He created us. He created the gifts that he gives us. He gives us the air to breathe. He doesn't need our help. He's not impressed with our ministry attempts. May I say that? He does not need our ministry. Let's not stop there. He doesn't depend on us for anything. The ministries we do on God's behalf do not impress him, no matter how sure we are that God called us. No matter how talented we are and what gifts he's given us, he doesn't depend on us. No matter how successful we manage to appear to other people, God doesn't depend on us. He's not impressed. No matter how much we sacrifice or how hard we work or how impressed other people are with us, God is not impressed with our ministry attempts. Well, what does God say then? Is he just an uncaring, distant God that made these creatures and uh, they really messed up and so he kind of distances himself from us? No, he gives us some information. This is the one I will regard. This is the one I will look to. This is one I'll give my attention to. The one who is lowly, stricken of spirit, and trembles at my word. God looks for something inner. The inner must be there. That's his, that's what he's looking for. The one who is lowly. Your translations, if you have your Bibles out or your, your um, phones or whatever you're using, your translations probably say the one who is humble. But I found humble to be misused and abused. So I like to think of it as lowly. It's 
translated, it's ani, it's translated often as poor or needy or afflicted. So God will give regard to one who is needy, one who recognizes their great need. This is the one God will regard, the one who recognizes their great need. Jesus chose this um, lowliness when he came to connect with us. Zechariah prophesied he would be lowly, using this same word, and riding on a donkey. Jesus chose to join us in this lowliness of need, of vulnerability. Isaiah, even before this, tells us, speaks to that one who is lowly, that afflicted one, using the same word, and he says, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I'll make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. God has a special regard for the lowly, those who know their great need, those who very often physically, concretely, are poor and needy because they tend to be the ones who recognize their need. But anybody who recognizes their lowliness, God has regard for. This is the one I will regard, the one who is lowly and stricken of spirit. Your translation will say contrite of spirit or contrite in heart. But the only other uses of this adjective in um, in the Hebrew are talking about Mephibosheth's lameness, brokenness. The one whom God will regard are the ones who recognize their lameness, their brokenness. It's easy when we have a gift, when we have an ability, when we get more education, to uh, feel like we have a lot to contribute, more than some others, but God pays attention to those who recognize their own brokenness, their own strickenness, and they're stricken by it. They're contrite. They recognize, I'm broken. I need healing. I need forgiveness. This is the one whom God will regard. And he says, the one who is lowly, stricken of spirit, and who trembles at my word. He started this passage by saying, heaven is my throne, bringing us to tremble before him, to, to, to show awe and, and reverence as a kind of fear before him, that kind of fear. But here it says, trembling at my word. When was the last time we trembled when reading the word of God? When was the last time you trembled in your Bible, biblical studies classes or your theology classes with that opportunity to read and to savor the Word of God. When was the last time you trembled in your devotional before the Word of God? When you saw an instruction in Scripture, you know you're not obeying. When you recognize the incredible grace of God in forgiving you and valuing you. Tremble at his glory and majesty. Tremble at his instruction. Tremble at his grace. We are beholden to God and dependent on his mercy. 
Again, no mention of impressive ministry results. What he does regard is the inner attributes of lowliness, strickenness of spirit, trembling at his word. So why did God feel the necessity to protest this lack of need or protest and, and demonstrate his lack of need for their services and insist on an inner attitude? What was going on um, in, in the group that Isaiah is addressing? There's no story to help us here, but there's some hints. And uh, this is a literal translation, but just read it over and, and see what you see here. Not completely clear what God is saying, but there are some things that are very clear. Slaughtering an ox, killing a man, two things put together. Sacrificing a lamb, breaking a dog's neck. Presenting a grain offering, blood of pigs. Memorial offering of frankincense, blessing an idol. You can see a series of four contrasts. The first in each, each pair are things that God himself invited Israel to do in their worship. The second are things that others in the world are worshiping or doing as part of their worship. For each of these, it's a series of four contrasts. It may be like most of our English translations um, insert that it should be saying slaughtering an ox is like killing a man. Sacrificing a lamb is like breaking a dog's neck. But you have to add those words. Uh, and, and the King James Version may have been right to add those. That may be what's being implied, or it may simply be that they're all doing all of these things. They're trying to be impressive to God and do the ministry that God has asked for. At the same time, they want to mix in some other things that they enjoy or they want to do with their friends. Or uh, it's kind of an insurance because they're not absolutely sure God's going to take care of this situation. If you look at the, the end of verse 3 there, he, he summarizes these people he's been describing, have chosen their own ways. These people these, and these leaders, their soul delights, not in the slaughtering of the ox and, and the worship of God, but in their abominations. Many were mixing, apparently, in Israel, the worship of God with the worship of other things. Now, we find it pretty disgusting, some of these things. Breaking a dog's neck, offering a, a man as a sacrifice, that's pretty disgusting and we wouldn't even consider such a, a horrible thing. But, you know, we have our own worships, don't we? We have our own things that we depend on or value above God sometimes. Whether it's um, money. You know, if I get enough money, I'm safe. Everything will be okay. If I moonlight my job here, if I do an extra job here, uh, if, my, if we all work really hard, then we'll be safe. Or maybe it would be human accolades. You know, I just, I just love that. that. I can't go on if someone isn't recognizing the sacrifice that I'm making here, 
I mean, I know God does, but I can't feel it. So I just need a little bit of affirmation here. Worshiping human success above God. Our addictions. Mm. Our addictions can become so easily our God. Whether, you know, human uh, whiz ministry leaders don't engage in substance abuse, right? Of any, any kind. I, we all have our own substances that are easy to say. I don't care what God says about my health and temperance. I just have to have this. We put it above God. Maybe it's porn. We put that above God saying, be pure in heart. Maybe it's a sexual addiction. What do we worship? What do you tend to put above God? What do you tend to depend on beyond God? God explains it in one more way. The reason he will choose harsh treatment for them is because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they didn't listen. Here's the core problem. What he wants is people who tremble at his word. What he's got is a lot of people who don't even answer when he calls them, who don't even listen when he speaks to them. Instead, they do what's evil in his eyes, chose, choosing the things they delight in rather than what he delights in. Should we then not engage in ministry to God and for God? Of course we should. But it's not to impress him. It's not because he's depending on us because we're so talented or needed by him. It's because we need to be part of his movement. We respond by trembling at his word and seeking and wanting to please him because of the grace he's given us. Ministry is important to us. And he uses it. He chooses to value it and to use it to reach others. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he's allowed us to participate. Yes, we should engage in ministry, but not for all those other reasons. Because we love him, we seek him. Because we are lowly before him, we are broken. We recognize our lack and appreciate his forgiveness and cleansing, and we tremble at his word. This means giving the time it takes in prayer and scripture each day for a reality check. Are you taking time each morning for a reality check to remember that God sits on the thrones of the heavens and you and I am broken, am lowly, and can only tremble at his word? We need to take the time in prayer and through scripture for a reality check until we are trembling at his word. In every situation, we must recognize our personal lack of ability. I think I've got this. Do you do that during the day? I'll pray at the beginning of the day and then halfway through I realize I'm doing this in my own power. I haven't even asked God if he wants me to do this. In every situation, he will lead us and guide us and transform us so that we are depending on him. If I can go through the day without praying with somebody who's come to talk to me, 
What is that saying about me? Is it saying, I think I can help people with their problems myself? We must recognize ourselves as broken, just like the people sitting around me, just like the people lying in the gutter, just like every human being around this earth. We're all broken. We're all brothers and sisters connected through God. One of the practices I find most meaningful is to adopt a biblical verse or a phrase for a day or several days at once. I'll dig into it. I'll repeat it to myself. I'll listen and meditate on each little word or phrase, asking God what he's trying to communicate with me. I'd like to challenge you today to take a piece of Isaiah 66, first, first verses. You can take verse 1 or 2. You can take a phrase from it. But I'd like you to challenge you to take a piece of paper, take out your phone, um, however you remember things, and just jot down the piece that you want to meditate on today. If you carry that through the day, talking with God about it, He will reward you. He will speak with you. He will give you the heart that you need. So I challenge you to do that today. And I challenge you to keep the faith, the faith that God describes in Scripture, and to tremble before His Word. Let's pray. Lord, we humans have a way of uh, often trusting in ourselves of looking at our accomplishments and either thinking how great we are or how much God needs us or thinking how poor we are and how lousy and how God can't really use us. But Lord, you've said who you look to. You've said who you regard. Those of us who recognize our lowliness are stricken by it and who tremble at your word. Lord, let me be one of those people. Let each one of us today and moving forward be increasingly one of those people keeping the faith in our lowliness, not in our greatness. Thank you, Lord. Amen.